You're listening to Beans on Toast here on the More Than Punk podcast. This track playing right now is called Album of the Day, and it's from one of Jay's new albums, which is Knee Deep in Nostalgia. The other is The Unforeseeable Future, and both of them came out earlier this week on what I believe was Jay's 40th birthday, so that's pretty dope. Happy birthday, man. This week, Jay and I are going to be talking about a whole lot of stuff. Everything from growing up watching the TV show Neighbours to giving his daughter a musical education and what it's like to be a punk rock dad, as well as really digging into his songwriting process and figuring out how that comes together and how it's changed over the years. You're listening to the More Than Punk podcast and stick around to the end of the episode where I'll be playing Album of the Day in full. So it'll give you a nice little lead-in to checking out those two new albums on Spotify, Apple Music, and good old record stores. This is my conversation with Jay from Beans on Toast. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm very well, very well. That's nice. Thanks for coming and hanging out. I appreciate it great i was telling a friend uh yesterday about how we, we were chatting and it was all scheduled up and she was because she's a friend of yours and so we've been talking about some like your songs and discography and she would go away and then last night she texts me and she's like hey you won't believe what just happened and i was like what and she's like well i just had beans on toast and then i realized it was just because we were talking about jay that it was like stuck in my head so, there you go subtly choosing what people have for dinner subconscious there I mean, how's that for global takeover, right? Like, yeah, if you're getting inside people's heads, then you know you're doing something right. That's got it. I mean, that's got to be the goal in a in a way, in a, in a non sort of Orwellian style way. <laughs> <laughs> Get inside people's heads. Yeah, I suppose mainly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you've got the, the two new albums coming out, and I'm super curious about that because most people just do the one. So, do you want? I know you've probably done this a hundred times, but like, what's the deal with the two? Well, Knee Deep in Nostalgia was the album that was always going to come out. Um, you know, I'd started writing it in, in, you know, this time last year I started writing it. And by February, I'd written all of the songs that are now on the album. And my intention was just to keep, was to write this song about, with a kind of overarching theme, sorry, now album with an overarching theme about my own life. And basically, the, my last record, uh, the inevitable train wreck i wrote that and i was like i can't do another album about the end of the world i was sick and tired mm-hmm. of thinking about the end of the world. i was like and I, i'm gonna step away from that and i'm you know i'm just gonna write a more personal kind of autobiographical it's gonna come out on my 40th birthday i was like oh so it's kind of like there's a song about my teacher at school a song about like being 10 years old and like a song about my flyering days in camden and shit like this is very kind of nostalgic, you know, as the title would, would know. And that was the album that was always going to come out. Frank Turner produced it, and that was always the plan. And then once, you know, 2020 fucking happened and all the lockdown shit went on, um, I kind of I stopped feeling kind of whimsical and wanting to wander down memory lane and inevitably had to write another album about the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, that was the unforeseeable future is all songs written, you know, during the pandemic, about the pandemic and recorded at home um, with no other musicians, you know, just me and the guitar record it. But I was it was something I was doing for, you know, for my insanity through lockdown was writing, recording and releasing. And I put out five songs mm-hmm. and I had 10 written. So there was no, it didn't feel right to merge them in the same album. So I just thought, 
well, they're two different albums just written in one year. So I just let them have their own life, which has, it turns out it's got pros and cons. It's quite annoying to write into a Facebook post and like promote an album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just quite confused. It's quite a confusing message to get across. There's new albums, but it also turns out with as much as I did it because it was, you know, I did it for artistic and creative reasons. I put out two albums, but I've recently found out it has financial benefits. You know, at a time <laughs> when I'm not touring or anything like that, selling two albums when I would have sold one is, you know. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Yes, so it's, it's working out for you then. It's, it's got like yeah. that nice side benefit. Yeah. 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 And that wasn't, you know, that wasn't the, I've never written any. I think if I tried to write a song to make money, it'd probably be, you know, like that would be the end of me. But so it, it certainly wasn't why I did it. But, you know, at a time when, you know, when I need it, my songs have bloody, you know, sorted me right out. Have you seen that like people are, I don't want to say more engaged because that kind of, infers that when you're out there touring people are like yeah fuck i can see him anytime but you know obviously there's that sense of um scarcity do you find that people are more like yeah shit i'm gonna get i'm gonna get behind this more because everything is fucked and you know i want to be able to help people where i can yeah i've found i've felt a lot of generosity from people that like my music over the course of of what's happened um be it you know just people just emailing saying keep doing what you're doing to you know to just to buy in a you know a t-shirt that, that i sold you know in the, in the middle of lockdown huge amount of generosity um and you know but it's I, I, people you know kind of do that anyway at gigs and whatnot yeah. as well. like i think it's people kind of continuing what they you know everybody to me it says oh there's a lot i know everything's changed but there's a lot of similarities as well you know like when it comes down to sort of human nature yeah, I mean, it's it's our community spirit, right? Like, people are going to buy sweaters or T-shirts or whatever it shows anyway. Yeah, I'd like to think. and uh, But, yeah, it's been, you know, certainly at the start, that first lockdown bit, it felt like there was a, quite a beautiful moment on, you know, my initial thought when everything, when it was like, everyone's got to go and sit at home, was I was like, I, I was worried the world spent too much time online anyway. Mm. You know, it all, you know, divisive politics, all, you know, like mental health is a lot of it is down to people spending too much time online. I was like, and now everyone's literally going to, everyone's going to sit at home online every day. And I was like, it's going to, people are going to go mad, like on a global scale, people are about to go insane. And then initially something really beautiful happened, didn't it? And everyone was doing online courses and knitting and Joe Wicks in the morning and all this like it was really sweet. I was like, fucking, I didn't see that coming, you know, and yeah. the live streaming gigs, really beautiful. Um, but it was just a short spell. Yeah. It's a, I kind of want to go back to that time when we were all making banana bread and learning how to bake, but you're right. Like, there was just a real sweetness about it. Calling old friends as well. That was something that, that, you know, like initially happened. I think everybody had like, Oh, I'll just do a ring around. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the ring arounds, I'd like to bring them back. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, maybe I will. I'll ring an old friend tonight just because you've inspired. That, that would be awesome. We've, I'm, you know, and I might do the same. I feel like as a social, even though we're social creatures, we kind of needed a hard reset. You know, like we yeah. needed a moment to stay inside and reconnect with shit that's important. Well, I can't wait for it to go out to, 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 to the reason to get in and get back out there. But yeah, yes. yeah. 
I want to, one thing I really want to talk to you about is the end of the world. Cause like you said, you think about it a lot um, and you, you write a lot of songs about it. Like where does that come from for you? Are you, a, I mean, cause you're not, you don't come across certainly as a guy that's all like, ah, fucking life's shit. You know what I mean? Like you come across as a very sort of happy go lucky guy. I'm, I'm extremely optimistic in light of everything around us. Um, I mean, you want to talk about the end of the world. I mean, it feels like, it does feel like if you look at anything closely, you know, it spells disaster. You know, like, be it, if you just sort of like, who made my clothes? And it's like, it's a fucking horrific story when you look at who makes your shoes or your clothes or what happens to your waist when you put it in the bin. It's another horrific story that if it continues in the manner that it's continuing, you know, the world will end and the world won't end, you know, and it ain't going to end in a bang. It's going to be like a fucking, like... Whimper? Oh, well, not even that. More like a scream, isn't it? You know, it's kind of like a long, sort of drawn-out, brutal one. Um, and, you know, or, or on the flip side, maybe that's just, you know, maybe that's just the modern curse, you know, because we've got so much information out there um and and it's just you know maybe it's just clickbait we've just clickbaited ourselves into this sort of world of doom and gloom i mean climate change is very real but it's also like the i guess my angle from it on it is like there's that beating yourself up about it and being down about it ain't gonna fucking help you know if you can if, if anything's gonna help it's definitely sort of like hope and like generosity and goodwill and stuff like that is what will see us through you know we are we can adapt you know i'm a parent now as well so i can't bang on i can't say that i truthfully believe the world is going to win because otherwise what the hell am i doing you know like um so i think i think we'll find a way but there's a lot of huge warning signs i guess the inevitable train wreck if anything i was sort of pointing out in that album i was pointing out what struck me as huge alarming warning signs just in case people would miss them do, do you feel like knee deep in nostalgia made you more hopeful or do you sort of are, are you so steeped in nostalgia that you're like man it was so much better than the flyer days no i mean that, um no it's a positive you know it is it is a positive album and it's not all looking back you know there's a song on the on the record there about my daughter and you know like i I, you know, truthfully believe she's got, you know, a long and happy life ahead of her. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's more about, you know, I think I, that sort of using the past to, to kind of, you know, work out who you are and, you know, and sort of like, and be in a good position to, to move forward, I think. Yeah, the thing that's always like really interests me about biographies and things, and, and I think of um, Will Valley's song, King for a Day, when I, or King for a King rather, um, because there's that whole thing of like, how do you filter out the stuff in your life that you think is really interesting and is going to make like a good song? Or did you just go through journals and old photos and that kind of thing and, and start writing? Or was it kind of, I don't want to say under the surface, but you get that, that sort of thing of like, I still remember my childhood and I remember the sort of bits I really miss about it. That's going to be the focus. Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly don't like do any sort of research. I, not that I have journals or, I mean, I guess I could go, I could get photos of my mum, but mm -hmm. no, it's just, uh, it's kind of, for me, songwriting is, uh, um, it, it's like a sort of snowball going down a hill sort of thing where it, go, it 
it gains momentum. And certainly with that song, I just, um, you know, it was the story of my mum telling me someone's got to be the first one on the dance floor. You know, I just wanted to, I think someone asked me maybe in an, in an interview or whatever, was said, what's the best piece of advice or words of wisdom you've ever been given? And I was like, oh, it was my mum. I was 10 years old and she said, someone's got to be the first one on the dance floor. And, uh, you know, and for someone that's, I mean, I'm really forgetful, but short-term memory, you know, from the smoking weed and drinking and whatnot. When I go really far back, it's actually quite a bit clearer than, you know, four years ago or whatever. So I had that memory. And from that, you know, and then I just sort of like, I just cherry picked the bits about my childhood that I did remember. You know, I remember not being able to ride a bike when everybody else could. I remember watching Home and Away and eating Finder's Crispy Pancakes for dinner and shit like that. So it was just, and it was more like, I guess that, that song probably took a bit longer than most for me because I sort of sat on it for a bit and then I'd sort of work around and be like, oh yeah, we used to do that. And, and I'd sort of chuck that in. But it was, yeah, it's just foraging around inside my head rather than, you know, researching. When you mentioned that you remembered not knowing how to ride a bike, it reminded me of this old childhood memory of going down like a, a bank and there being a wire fence and just going straight through the wire fence and getting hung up on it. Um, I don't think I've been on a bike since, but like, do you, do you feel like there's some kind of um, like sort of shared memory or shared experience in what you're doing with the album? Uh, I hope so. I mean, like there's a, I was, a few people when they heard it, you know, when they pulled up the kind of Finn's Crispy Pancake line. And because so, it's something that you either know exactly what I'm talking about or it makes no sense whatsoever, which, you, you know, in jokes, in songs, probably not that you know probably not that good an idea to to write in jokes and songs i found that out the hard way but stuff like that when it's on the fence it can just it can either completely pass you by but if it does you know if it is something you used to be and you was into you know oven meals and australian soap operas you know in the 90s which and the the kind of are you are you australian i'm a kiwi right new zealand so yeah. i mean it's quite strange to um the how just how big a phenomenon neighbors and home and away was in the uk in the 90s it how it happened is you know it was all anybody cared about where i was growing up. you know it was like at school it was like the whole thing if you bunked off school you could watch it at lunchtime and then again at dinner time and it was like by far the biggest tv show my parents used to watch it like People used to gossip about it. If someone went on holiday to Australia, it was six months ahead there and they'd come back with all these rumors about Toadfish is <laughs> gonna die and all this stuff. And it's like, and it was, it was that. It was Australian TV shows and gangster rap. And that was like culture for, you know, Essex in 1994. And it's like, how the fuck did that shit happen? And it's like almost kind of like, it just seems completely bizarre now, but things weren't as kind of connected culturally. So I, I don't know, just like how, what the filter was to, to get it through. But it was like, yeah, Wu-Tang and Al Stewart. I, I like that Al Stewart and Wu-Tang sort of produced a um, went activist folk singer and, and Beans <laughs> on Toast, you know, like. It's funny how these things work out, isn't it? And I say the, the Neighbours connection is unreal. Like I hardly ever watched it. And I, I moved up to Edinburgh this year and I have people that I've just met being like, oh, you know, I remember watching Neighbours and I'm just like, fuck man, I don't. 
it was huge. It was, I mean, obviously it spurred, you know, like Kylie and Jason and sort of worldwide superstars, but like for that little pocket of time, it was, yeah. And yeah, and that, you know, so stuff like that again, which I guess there's a shared memory there, you know, and it's, and it's the same thing about putting a, an in-joke in a song. You don't want to, I don't just want to sing songs for, for people that, you know, had exactly the same upbringing as me. But I think, you know, the odd tune amongst all of my back catalogue, I think, you know, I was just telling it how it was, basically. Yeah. Do you, are you going to bring your daughter up on a diet of, of Neighbours and <laughs> Wu-Tang? <laughs> I'll let her do whatever the new cultural trends are around, around her side. I mean, uh, maybe. I'll, I'll give it a shot, but I can't see her falling for that. I'll get destroyed online for this, but hopefully it's not Australian TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that, I'm sure Australia, well, they've got to have some good, un, under the lake, that was New Zealand, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Under yeah. the lake, something like that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't watch as much TV as I did as a kid, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I can't think of, of anything off the top of my head. That's. I'm not a huge TV watcher either, you know? It's just one of those things that just kind of passes me by. Yeah, I mean, it's a waste of fucking time, that's why. <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, one of the <laughs> things I was, I was really curious about, because you've got like a pretty big back catalogue, right, at this point, and obviously the sort of dual album thing. I don't, dual album? Yeah, fuck it, dual album thing. Um, when you, like, at what point do you start sort of feeling like you might maybe pushing up against the same kind of songwriting ideas or, or you're like, think about songs that you've written and go, holy shit, nothing's changed. Like I need to write an updated version of that song. Um, I, I, to a certain extent, I just feel like I've always been writing the same song mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's, it's just the kind of, that's what I do. You know, I just have an on switch and then I just do it. Same chords, you know, different subject matter. Um, so uh, with that in mind, I never really, I never struggle for things to write about or kind of concerns about it sounding too similar because it always kind of has. I mean, music, I've learned musically to use other people and, you know, mm-hmm. their kind of skill set to make an album sound different from the last. But what I do, my job of putting that album together, you know, as in me sitting and, and writing the song on, on guitar is you know nothing has, has changed really it's still the same i do it i do it under even to the to the point where i have little blue notebooks that i write my songs in and you know when one is full i just make sure i get exactly the same notebook to write the next one in uh because it kind of if it's not broke don't fix it sort of yeah. scenario and it's a it's a, a format that's worked so i just kind of just, just keep on doing it yeah, and I'm definitely one of those people that's not like, that's like, let's just not dig into the process. You know, there's got to be that like Wizard of Oz sort of veil around it. Right? Yeah, I think, I think that's probably because there's an element of the kind of good bits of creativity it's impossible to describe, really. And that's, like, if anything, it's, and I think being, being a kind of prolific writer, if anything, it's kind of like knowing how to create a spot where that can happen. You know, for me, it's just, it doesn't take much. It just, I need to know that no one else can hear me. Um, and I guess that's a kind of egotistical side. I've, I don't know, if someone's listening, it doesn't happen. But as long as I know that no one can hear me, 
you know, and I get my little blue book out and I smoke a spliff and, you know, write a song basically. And it's like, and that, that process hasn't changed. And it's like, but it is about, you just, it's, it's something, there's a switch, again, there's a switch. And it's like, if anything, it's just knowing how to, it's, it's focused in on that. And apart from that, you can't really explain the creative process because yeah. it's, it, because it belongs to the magic. And there's also a sense too, I think that like the idea of your favorite songwriter or writer or whoever sitting in their pants, smoking a spliff, eating chips with a notebook in their lap, is like not a hugely exciting sort of story to tell, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe people just would rather keep it secret. No, I mean, obviously the world, like the world has changed a lot, right? Over the past sort of, uh, God, four or five years. Um, and I'm curious about like, do you find that... Well, you know, I mean, I mean, like politically, socially, because right, yeah. um, because what I've been wondering is when people are coming to the to your music that might not like be fans of yours already. Do you find that sometimes they maybe take things the wrong way or like don't get the sort of tongue in cheek side of it? I'm thinking like Dirty Packy, for example, like obviously not a neo-Nazi song, but you can sort of imagine an incel being like, ah. Oh, yeah, I mean, that song took a lot. I, I got a lot of shit for that song online. You know, there was yeah. like a whole Twitter debate about it, which, you know, and I think the people that were had problems with it were, you know, coming from the right place and probably had, you know, some relatively decent, you know, things to say about, you know, the world has changed for the better, you mm. know. And I'd, all, and I'd actually written about that at length in my book as well. Um, and and in all fairness, you know, like I probably wouldn't sing that song anymore anyway. Um, so that's sort of me moving with the times as well. But I think there's as far as people coming to the gigs and kind of not getting it, I, I I kind of feel like I survive on a sort of level where people aren't gonna hear my music or come to my gigs unless they're into it. You know, I think mm -hmm. if you if if you're selling X amount of records or you know you're you're on the radio and stuff, then you kind of your songs are forced upon people and people are forced to give their opinions of it. Whereas with my music, I just survive in that level where, you know, I only really come into contact with people that that want to hear my music because it's never rammed down anyone's throat, which makes for a very, you know, nice life for me. And you know, very kind of, you know creative life for me as well you know sort of people rather than kind of constant i don't know how i deal with constant criticism you know like the, the sort of twitter thing questioning what questioning how i you know like i don't think anybody was even questioning if i was a racist there was question about how i went about my anti-racism 10 years ago you know songs mm -hmm. i don't think about and it was like i mean i found the whole ordeal just a you know a waste of time really and just like and quite um and it and it didn't make me feel like it, it made me feel quite uncreative if you know what i mean it was like sort of like poor like it so i don't know how well i deal with criticism on a massive scale and you know whether people would come along and so it sits quite well for me that i live in this existence where i'll never force my music upon you you know, like, and if you come into a gig, you're into it, you know, and if you're mm -hmm. going to put it on, again, Spotify's never going to put it on a playlist or ram it down your throat like that. You know, it's like, you come to it and you, you know, if, if you're into it. So, and I guess that works, that works for me. Do you feel like, yeah, I feel like there's a level of stardom is probably the wrong word, but where, where life just becomes kind of a living nightmare, you know, where it's just like that constant, you sort of lose yourself into 
just belonging to people and opinions, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's you've got to be ready for the criticism that, that comes with it, basically, I guess, the, once you're up on some kind of, you know, pedestal. I've been watching the uh, Michael Jordan Last Dance uh, thing on Netflix, you know, if it, and obviously, you know, like the most famous person in the world. And every time someone tried to take him down, he basically just got better at playing basketball. <laughs> and that's the way to deal with it effectively, isn't it? Yeah, just it's like that sort of doubling down and just focusing on on what's important to you, right? Yeah, exactly. So, Go Michael. Yeah, I know what a legend. Although my like most up to date reference of him, I'm not gonna lie, is the Space Jam movie. So, not a sports guy, you know. Right, fair dues. Yeah, I mean it's worth as much as I said. TV's a waste of time, and this is a ten episode of of a documentary series, but it's uh, it's it's quite mind blowing at the same time. Yeah, totally worth it. Um, now I wanted to ask you another thing. To, another thing. It's a fucking interview. Jesus. Sometimes I <laughs> sometimes I wonder how I ended up in this position. Like Jesus Christ. Um, but I kind I kind of like because you did the show at the at the Clapham Grand um, with Ellie and, and Frank and that sort of whole live stream thing and that and that sort of thing. Um, like, what was that like for you? Like, are you trying to line things up at the moment? Or are you just trying to be like, what the fuck's going on? I'm going to figure out. Because obviously the UK is sort of broken up into different lockdown cycles and all that sort of nonsense. Uh, what, as in, as far as gigging? Yeah, like, what, like, are you look, like, how far forward are you looking in terms of gigging? And, and do you well, get I mean, any clarity all, on that? All, all year, I mean, Adam, who books my shows, you know, all year we've basically been booking shows and then moving and pushing them further and further into the we are, I was actually going to announce a um socially distant UK tour the mm -hmm. day before the next the lockdown just was was announced uh sorry the day after we was going to announce it and that would have been starting like next week and it was you know seated uh low capacity table service all that jazz I mean I'm ready to gig of course I am you know I've had to do an album campaign without um without gigging at all um so and and there's also i did a lot of shows in between lockdown because i also play music that does work if you sat down mm. so it definitely feels like you know certainly on that the bit in between lockdowns there was you could do gigs but they had to be seated and most of the promoters i work with you know used to putting on bands and whatnot so it's like they don't know it's like fuck, we got to do a seated show who do we know that can play a seated gig so my phone started ringing a lot, you know, and I got a whole bunch of odd shows in different outside seated capacities. Um, and yeah, you know, I, we've got an, a network of, you know, promoters ready to go. Soon, as soon as I can, I'll be gigging like you wouldn't fucking believe it. But it's, you know, it, it got to the point we can't announce another tour and then, you know, and then yeah. reschedule it and cancel it and all that just because it's fucking disheartening do you feel like you're hungrier for it now that it's kind of been taken away if you will? um i mean there was uh, during live streams and stuff i was you know that whole kind of like you don't know what you got until it's gone it was i was tempted to say that but i kept stopping myself because i always love gigs like with yeah. all my heart and i fuck you know and i don't feel that i ever took um playing to people or the traveling or anything for granted yeah i like to think that i you know i i, I mean i of course i want to do it now from not wanting to do it but, but because i love it so much but yeah i always felt like i would, you know 
I, I, I gave him my all. Yeah, I mean, your, like, your last um, live stream was awesome, the one you did a few days ago. That was super fun. Thanks. I mean, yeah, them things that I, I think that's probably be a platform that will stay forever now, the whole live stream thing. Initially, my guard went up and it was like, what do you mean fucking gig into a phone in your bedroom? Like, but um, as, as it sort of evolved and, more, and it became more sort of acceptable, and then when I did one, the first one that I did, the first at home with Beans and Taste, it was like, you know, it really, it just brought our house to life for, for the night as well. And it was, I mean, it's pretty funny. The strangest thing is when they end, you know, because mm -hmm. I generally get pretty pissed. And then you just sort of turn the phone off and it's like, cool. We just tidy out the living room, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like the polar opposite of what it's normally like after a gig, basically. Um, so, I mean, I mean, I'm up for live streams. I'll, you know, I'll do them, you know, as, as you kind of, if I have to, I suppose, but I, I think it's, an, it's, an, it's definitely an interesting platform and it will, it will stay again. There was a honeymoon period for that. Mm. Where it's like, and you know, like you play into potentially like fucking shit loads more people than I ever would at a gig. Like certainly for them first lot when everybody was, you know, actually at home locked down. It's just like these huge figures that you're just playing to. And uh, yeah, it was kind of vibes. And it's like, again, it sort of dwindled a little bit, but it will, it will stay, you know? And I think certainly when, when touring happens, maybe there'll be a kind of like a half ticketed, half live stream show, stuff like that happening. So that's what the, the grand are, are pretty good at. I, I was supposed to be doing the, um, my album launch there on next week but that's been moved to the end of january so hopefully that will be able to work you know that will still be able to work we'll still be able to do that at the end of january so i can yeah. stay 39 for another two months that'll be that'll be awesome that'll be worth it won't it this whole thing will be worth it because you get two more months out of the, out of your 30s, <laughs> out of 30s yeah. i'm super excited to see how the sort of streaming plus like gigs thing comes together you know because in terms of like accessibility whether it's like physical disabilities or, or just people being in different geolocations, being mm -hmm. able to tune in and watch gigs while other people can be at the gigs is, I feel like it's quite a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, like I said, it's interesting to see how it will evolve because there, there's a lot of really great minds working on it. You know, people that would otherwise be. People that are way smarter than me and you. Well, people <laughs> that would otherwise be kind of, you know, running production for a tour that have been sat at home or promoters and whatnot that have been sat at home, you know, and, and it's just the emergence of something new, which, you know, in, in music and outside of the kind of like the music itself, it's quite, it's not very often that something, you know, a whole new platform for listening to music kind of like appears out of nowhere. Effect. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people were doing stuff like that beforehand, but mm. now it's a kind of, live streams are kind of household name isn't it um so yeah it'd be good to see how it how it evolves but personally you know give me a pub full of people any day <laughs> uh i mean there's nothing like the the sweaty pub vibe right yeah. it's just it's it's the lifeblood of our scene it's the lifeblood of what we do it's, it's also i mean the, the the gig certainly as a gig goer for my whole life like yes of course i like standing there watching the band you know and listening and clapping but, you know, it's also about what happens before and after for me always has been, you know, the getting to the gig and, you know, and, and the hanging out and, and hanging out afterwards is, 
is just as important. And I think that's the same with, you know, where they're moving university courses online and stuff like that. And it's like, you sure you can learn that, you know, you can learn the course online, but you won't come out the same person as you did if you went to university. You surely you learn more at the other bits. I mean, you, I didn't go to fucking university, but you know, the, uh, just their online can provide X amount, I think, but the human interaction is never going to be able to do. Um, and that's what we need. Yeah. Do you, do you um, get used to having fans or is it still kind of weird if people come up to you after a show in the before days and be like, your music saved me or changed my life or whatever it might be? I mean, it's cool, man. It's to me, it's sort of like, it's built in friends wherever you go. Like, yeah. And again, it's like we're going back to where it's sort of existing at the level that I do, you know, people have come to the show and, and take the time to talk to us. So, like, um, and because of how kind of, um, open my music is people speak to me as if they know me because effectively they do you know people like i've put enough of myself out there that if someone's into it the chances are we'd get on you know and uh, and um, you know more often than not we do and uh, so it just i mean having a job where you get to travel around and have you know friends everywhere you go that after a gig if i sort of go where do we go now there's like a bloody queue of people that want to go take me to the best place in town. You know, it's like, or, oh, you'd never, you'd never stumble across this place if you wasn't, you know, if you was in Edinburgh, for example, you know, by yourself walking around, you wouldn't know to go to this pub or that pub. So yeah, it's, it's great, you know, like, and, and it, it's interesting, like how the songs do do connect and how it's sort of changed like certainly back in the day when all my songs were about you know getting hammered mm-hmm. it was the conversation was generally like do you want to go smoke a spliff do you want to bomb some mdma you know like and i'd get a lot of free drugs out of it which is great and uh and now more often than not like it's like we're about to have a baby and you know like oh your song means so much to the birth of our kid and and it's sort of like it's a different you know conversation i've had i've definitely had conversations with people that you know were taking drugs at the same time i was and are now parenting at the same time i am and it's sort of you know we can talk about the same things across the board so it's nice you know it's like it's like having loads of friends it's brilliant do do you think about that when you're songwriting like like oh if i write this it's going to cut through or people are going to like really care about it or do you are you just sort of so focused on doing it as like a solo thing yeah no it's same as if i think if i tried to write a song to make money if I tried to make a song you know that I thought people would like I don't I wouldn't really know where to start I think you know yeah or actually you know ultimately I want people to like my songs but I think the only way I know how to write and how to do that is to you know write what I believe to be true um whether it be about myself or the or the world around me so I just try and be you know honest and try and mix up them three chords the best I can that's awesome. I love it. Hey, I was wondering if you could do one more thing for me and do a bit of a lead in for album of the day for when I played at the, at the end of the show. Sure. So yeah, do you want to tell me a little bit about the track and, and how it came to be? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a simple song about listening to music with my daughter, basically. And um, made a video for it with us listening to it. I mean, the truth is I wrote the song about the, we had a thing called album of the day where, Every day I'd stick on a classic album and we'd dance and blah, blah, blah. And it was great. And as usual with kind of parenting and, and a, a two-year-old, things change quite quickly. And 
now she's a lot more demanding about what music she wants. So if we want to do album of the day, we have to do Frozen, basically. And for the video, as much as I'm singing about listening to all these cool records, when she, I was like, for dancing on the video, I think it was actually, you know, it was probably the Little Mermaid soundtrack is what we was actually, what we was actually dancing to. She's like, no, I don't want to listen to Die Straits today. <laughs> like, she told me to turn Bob Dylan off, you know, which like, <laughs> well, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I don't want Bob Dylan, put Ariel on. So, okay, okay. So, uh, but yeah, this was about the moment in time. This song was about the moment in time when I could choose the music that me and my daughter listened to, to dance to in the afternoon. Your daughter sounds like an absolute legend. Thank you for hanging out, man. All good. Thanks for having me. So there it is. That was my chat with Jay from Beans on Toast here on the More Than Punk podcast. Uh, Jay's two new albums, Knee Deep and Nostalgia, and The Unforeseeable Future are out now. They came out on Tuesday of this week, I believe. So pick them up, give them a spin. They're incredibly good albums. As a little taster, here is the latest single from the duo, and it's called Album of the Day. You're on the More Than Punk podcast, and as always, if you loved what you heard, even just liked it a tiny little bit, hit me up on Twitter at More Than Punk, leave a review, and hit that subscribe button. Every little bit helps. This is Album of the Day, Beans on Toast. I'm lucky enough to have my daughter for the day With no commitments getting in the way It might start with a trampoline Followed by sandwiches And we'll run home, read a couple of books And lay down for a little snooze Cause we don't need anybody getting in a mood We've got big plans this afternoon You're the chorus of my song The apple of my eye, the page in my book And the moon in my sky You know I wouldn't want it any other way Than dancing with you to the album of the day Cause that afternoon I put an hour aside It's a musical education time We put a classic album on And we listen to it back to front Or front to back, you know what I mean The whole thing in its entirety There'll be no rewind, no fast forward Exactly as its creator intended it Chorus of my song, the apple of my eye, the page in my book, and the moon in my sky. You know I wouldn't want it any other way than dancing with you to the album of the day. Slammed by Paul Simon Exodus Bob Marley Nine to five by Dolly Parton Closing time Blonde on blonde Odelay Brothers in arms Music for a jilted generation Aretha now And London calling We try to avoid Greatest hits Because the real world comes with album tracks I'm hoping that something seeping in and that the wonderful music is
Of my song, the apple of my eye.